0: Well, good evening. So um, I'd like to begin a piece that was, whose providence is not uh, exactly clear, but it's, it's known as Dogen's vow of practice. We vow with all beings, you can read, we vow with all beings from this life on through countless lives to hear the true Dharma, thus that upon hearing it, no doubt will arise in us, nor will we lack in faith, that upon meeting it, we shall renounce worldly affairs and maintain the Buddha Dharma, and that in doing so, the great earth and all living beings together will attain the Buddha way. Although our past evil karma has greatly accumulated, indeed being the cause and condition of obstacles in practicing the way, may all Buddhas and ancestors who've attained the Buddha way be compassionate to us and free us from karmic effects, allowing us to practice the way without hindrance. May they share with us their compassion which fills the boundless universe with the virtue of their enlightenment and teachings. Buddhas and ancestors of old were as we. We in the future shall be Buddhas and ancestors. Revering Buddhas and ancestors, we are one Buddha and one ancestor. Awakening Bodhi mind, we are one Bodhi mind. Since they extend their compassion to us freely and without limit, we are able to attain Buddhahood and let go of the attainment. Therefore, the Chan master Lunya said those who in past lives were not enlightened will now be enlightened. In this life save the body, which is the fruit of many lives. Before Buddhas were enlightened, They were the same as we. Enlightened people of today are exactly as those of old. Quietly explore the farthest reaches of these causes and conditions, as this practice is the exact transmission of a verified Buddha. Confessing and repenting this way, one never fails to receive profound help from all Buddhas and ancestors. By revealing and disclosing our lack of faith and practice before the Buddha, we melt away the root of transgressions by the power of our confession and repentance. This is the pure and simple color of true
1: practice, of the true mind of faith, of the true body of faith.
0: So I thought it would be good to start with this teaching um and we can come back to it uh but it it sort of opens our mind and opens our heart uh and it's it's deeply encouraging to think that uh buddhas and ancestors of old were as we and we in the future shall be buddhas and
1: ancestors and this section uh Also the
0: line, in this life, save the body, which is the fruit of many lives. We are awakened through the activities of the body, which includes the mind. And then in this last section, by revealing and disclosing our lack of faith and practice before the Buddha, we melt away the root of transgressions by the power of our confession and repentance. Um, So, um, actually, this weekend, on Saturday, we are going to, I think, begin again, our monthly practice of the full moon ceremony, the bodhisattva ceremony. And that is a, a practice that begins with the practice of confession. And repentance, and then uh, avowal, uh, taking the taking the refuges, the Bodhisattva vows, and the precepts. And when we do our confession and repentance, we we own, in the case of the ceremony on Saturday, in shorthand, uh, we own our shortcomings, we own our
1: our lapses and our, uh, however we may have
0: not been able to uphold the precepts. And this is part of uh, the key practice of uh, of Dogen. And so we'll, we'll come back to it. So tonight, uh, as I often say, uh, this practice of zen is formulated on making a mistake on purpose and today we're making a night we're making a really big mistake by uh trying to tackle uh speak about uh A. a dogen in one class of an hour and a half uh this is not possible so Dogen lived from 1200 to 1253 in Japan, and tonight we'll look a little, scrape the surface of what we know of his dharma, what we know of his life, uh, what we take to be some of his core teachings, and their influence on our own teachers in our own practice. So to get to Dogen over this fourth week of the class, um, we've come a great distance uh, temporally, nearly 400 years, uh, 400 years after uh, our last ancestor Dungshan and maybe close to 600 from from Bodhidharma, Uh, and uh, great distance culturally from Tang Dynasty, China, to uh, Kamakura-era, Japan. And what was then a a daunting uh, geographical distance, just to cross from uh, from China to Japan and to carry the practice across that gulf. Uh, And also, what we come to with with Dogen, the last two classes, Dogen, and then Suzuki Roshi um, were dealing with more clearly historical figures, uh, and figures who left uh who left more of a decided record than Bodhidharma, winning and Dungshan. Uh, so Dogen left behind a, a vast body of writing and records. And they have, those records, and those writings have, some of them are really hard to understand. Uh, some of them, as he developed as a teacher, uh, contradict each other. Uh, and we're not going to resolve all this. Uh, it's just going to be part of the, of the picture that we, that we take on. So let me name a few of uh, these principal principal works and then principal teachings of Dogen and then talk a little about his life and then we'll we'll look at some sections particularly from Genjokalan which is one of his key works so I should probably send this out uh, to you, uh, but I'll have to do it after the class. The key works that we have by Dogen himself, uh, first of all, there's several recensions of the Shobogenzo, Treasury of the True Dharma Eye, And now we have at least four and a forthcoming fifth, Full translation, uh, we have uh, Kaos Tanahashi's translation of the whole Shopo Genzo, uh, which people in this Sangha have also uh, worked on some of those translations. Sojin did, and I did, and some others in Zen Center and I think a couple from Berkeley as well, uh, co-translated with Kaos. We have the Nishijima and Cross translation, which is really good and uh, perhaps a little more literal. Uh, there's uh, Nishiyama and uh, Stevens, and there's an online one you'll find. Well, I sent the link. You can see, I only sent the link for Moon and Doudrop, but there's a whole, there's a link for uh entire Shobogenzo translation. And what I would say is that when I study Shobogenzo, or when I study anything, Um, if there are are several translations available to me, I'll try to read them all. Because every one of them gets something, has a slightly different approach, uh, reveals something that is interesting and useful. So I encourage you to uh, certainly at least get one of these. Uh, I, w- I will say, you know, this is the we are the cult of Dogen, right? Uh, this is it's like we're studying Dogen. We talk about him all the time. We have his picture hanging up front, uh, and uh, we see him as the as the uh, the source of our soto. Our contemporary Soto Zen tradition, uh, and we'll talk more about how that came to be as we as we go along tonight. So you have Shobogenzo. You also have uh, another massive uh, volume called the Eheko-roku, uh Dogen's extensive record, which uh, is a big book. So sometimes we call it. Dogen's expensive record, uh, and it is these are short public talks that he gave uh, at in his in his monas to his monastic students over a long period of time, and they're uh, they're really wonderful. There's some of them are really to the point, some of them are very enigmatic, some of them are short. Um, but it's kind of gives you another angle at the at the the teachings of the Shobogenzo, which are often very philosophical and can be quite dense. There's uh, the Shinji Shobogenzo, uh, which is a koan collection. Of, I think it's three hundred and one koans that. Uh, that that Dogen collected and used in his teachings that he drew from uh, to illustrate points uh, in the Shogunso and in others of his works. And sometimes you read his works and what you see is that uh, some of them are just one koan after another. And so the Shinji Shobagenzo is a source that he put together, that he drew from, to, uh, to use, to kind of uh, weave into and, uh, his, his philosophical writings. And there's a translation of that by uh, Kastanahashi uh, and excellent uh, commentary by John Dido O'Luri. Um, that's in print. We have the Shobo zui monkey which were uh, talks that were collected by Dogen's first disciple Kōan uh, very early when he shortly after he had returned to uh, to Japan from uh, China, you know, leading up to. Uh, the foundation of his first monastery in 1233, and H.O. recorded these and there's a volume of them collected that's uh, called Record of Things Heard, and it's translated by Thomas Cleary. Let's see, there's also the Eh Shingi, translated by uh, Taigen Leighton, <coughs> and that's when Dogen established uh, the monastery at A.G., I think after that was established in 1246, towards the later part of his life, he documented uh, the standards and the ways of operating of all the temple officers, and so it, it covers, this cover includes instructions for the cook, for the treasurer, for the zendo manager, uh, for the guest manager, and it's it's really how to do the job, but also the spirit with which you do the job. And it's very detailed. Uh, and finally, uh, there is a text that is chanted uh, very regularly in the Soto school called Shushogi, and Shushogi is a uh, is a short text that is kind of the compressed. Uh, it's like the Reader's Digest condensed version of Dogen's teachings, and it was assembled by uh, Ochi Seiran in 1890, and was uh distributed widely and this was at a time when when Dogen's work was not really widely available uh even to soto communities uh and it's worth looking at the interesting thing about one of the interesting things about shishogi it's very beautiful uh, but the piece that's missing from it is there's no mention of zazen which is which is very unusual, because that was really one of the, you know, one of the uh, keystones of his practice. So that's a kind of an overview of of some of his key works. Let me stop there. Any questions about these or about what they are, their availability? Yeah, tell um, just offer Speak, by the know. way, um, speakers in this room, please speak up so that people can can hear. And I'll check with you guys uh, online if you can hear.
2: Go ahead. i would just offer there's also an on, a free online translation of the Zui Maki um, by Shoaku Okamura uh, that the Soto Shooter, you uh-huh.
0: can find it on their website. Did you hear that? There's a free online, could you hear that, by the way? Yes, it's a free online uh, translation of the monkey that's done by Soto Shu, which means by the Soto uh, Zen translation project, which was operating out of Stanford. They are actually that's the next next year. Uh, the whole Shobo Genzo is going to be published coming out of that translation project, which has been going on for 20 years, and I'm really looking forward to that. And it's done by. Uh, really first rate scholar practitioners, and for those of you who are uh, so inclined it's these these texts will have full scholarly apparatus, so you can look up a lot of stuff whatever questions occur in in the language that you uh, that you want to know about a lot of that will be there in the notes, Carol.
3: Can I, are some of the works that you've mentioned uh, part of the Shobogenzo?
0: No, they are distinct works, uh, but they have, some of them are called Shobogenzo. this or, you know, but they're they are distinct works that have a, you know, a separate, a life of separate volumes. So you won't. So when you look at the whole, you know, let's say Kaz Tanahashi or Hubert Neerman's whole Schopenhauer, that's just what we call these the fascicles, the philosophical writings. It wouldn't be the Koan collection. It wouldn't be Zui Monkey, etc. Well,
3: well, what would it be? What is the Schopenhauer? What is the Schopenhauer? Shob- <laughs> what What does it include?
0: The shows. Is- a collection of essays, and there are uh, three recensions that were published at different times. Um, there's a 75-fascical version, there's a 100 fascicle version, and there's a 12 fascicle version. Uh, and I think that most of the ones that are published now are uh, the 100 the hundred-fascicle version. So, that we, we have a complete. So, so things like uh, key works like Bendawa or Gakudo Yojinshu or Zazen Shin, okay. Choji, all those fascicles that we read are part of
1: the Shopo Genzo.
3: Thank you. Does
1: that make sense, everyone? Yes? Good. So, um,
0: some of the teachings. Well, let, let me let me talk about his life a bit. So, Dogen was born uh, in Kyoto, uh, which was then the imperial ca- capital, uh, and it, no, it had been the imperial ca- capital. I'm sorry. The capital had moved to Kamakura uh, but the aristocracy was still very much rooted in kyoto uh, and he was born into a into a uh, probably born into an aristocratic factor family and none of this is is actually confirmed but it it seems that his father was an influential minister in the imperial court and his mother was probably the daughter of uh, of another high official in the court. His father died when Dogen was three, and his mother died when Dogen was eight. And the legend is that uh, at his mother's funeral, as a young boy, he stood there and he watched the smoke arising from the incense and winding its way up into the upper reaches of the temple. And this sparked his way-seeking mind. Uh, So when he was 13, uh, his uh, caretakers allowed him to become a novice uh, practitioner out mat- at Mount Hiei. Mount Hiei was was and is the center of the Tendai school of Buddhism, uh, which was transplanted from the Tiantai school in uh, China to Japan, and there it's a, that's one of the Lotus uh, Sutra schools. And it was the most it was the most prominent, it was the most wealthy and the most powerful, and they had the biggest temples. And uh, almost all of the Zen tradition in Japan uh, has its roots in uh, in Tendai Buddhism and then branched out from there. Uh, so he was ordained at a young age. Uh, at about 14 or 15, and then he studied the sutras uh, and did all the practice and studied uh, with the teachers who were there, and he found himself confronted by a compelling question. Both Both exoteric and esoteric teachings explain that a person, in essence, has the true dharma nature and is originally a body of buddha nature if so why do all buddhas in the past present and future arouse the wish for and seek enlightenment so another way to frame this question is uh, if we understand that all beings are already buddha why do we need to practice um, so Dogen could not find a good answer from his teachers at Mount Hiei. Uh, and one of them said, you should go see this Zen teacher uh, because they're better at these kind of imponderable questions than we are. Uh, and they sent him to Asai, who also was a Tendai monk But he had traveled to China, and in China uh, Esai encountered the Rinzai, or the Linji tradition of Zen, and he brought that back to Japan and established a a practice place in Kyoto. Uh, So he did that, Esai came back in 1191, so he was already well established by by the time Dogen met him, which was probably about 1217, uh, 12, 1218, 12, something like that. Um, but one of the threads that runs through Dogen's life and this history was uh, confrontation with the Tendai school, which is very powerful. So that. Uh, pressure from the Tendai orthodoxy uh, who were opposed to the kind of singular teachings of the of Rinzai Zen uh, they forced Asai to present Zen as just one of the four practices of Tendai uh, which was which included along with meditation uh, Mahayana study of Mahayana precepts, uh, the practice of esoteric rituals, and devotional practices. So in 1214, Dogen went to study with Esai in Kyoto at Keninji. and Esai died shortly after that, and Dogen continued his study with Esai's uh, Main disciple, Miozen, And he received Dharma transmission in the Rinzai tradition in 1221. But he wasn't satisfied with what he was encountering yet. And so in 1223, accompanied by Myozen, Dogen went to China. So there's a quotation here. When I was a child, I aroused the wish for enlightenment, pursued the way with various masters in our country, and learned a little about the meaning of cause and effect. However, I did not understand the true source of name and form. Later, I entered Zen Master Aesai's room and for the first time heard the Rinzai teaching. Then I accompanied Myo, priest Zen and went to Song, China, Song Dynasty, China. Uh, Through a voyage of countless miles, entrusting my transient body to the billowing waves, I finally reached the great song. Now, one thing also I should say about Dogen is that even in translation, he's such a beautiful writer. Uh, You know, his prose just sings. It's really beautiful and uh, So he studied major monasteries in China and uh, was disappointed by the teachers, what he encountered in the Rinzai teachers of um, their use of illogical phrases, you know, koans and unusual behavior uh, as the only expression of Zen teaching uh, and ignoring the scriptures. So after two years, Dogen was thinking about going back to Japan. And then he heard about Rujing, who was the teacher at Mount Tiantong, uh, And he went to meet him. Rujing was then 62 years old. Uh, and Dogen reflected on his meeting with Rujing in 1225. I first offered incense and bowed formally to my late master, old Buddha Tiantum, in his abbot's room on the first day, fifth month of the first year of the Baoching of Great Song. He also saw me for the first time. Upon this occasion, he transmitted Dharma, finger to finger, face to face, and said to me, The Dharma gate, a face-to-face transmission from Buddha to Buddha, ancestor to ancestor, is realized now. So that was kind of a provisional Dharma transmission. It just, what Dogen is saying, as he recollects this, is that we really saw each other. And Rujin gave Dogen permission to come to his rooms for instruction anytime. Of the day or night whether he was informal or in his formal robes and this is i'll say this is something that i feel that we uh, we had the opportunity to share with our late teacher sojin that uh, we could knock on his door at any time and he would Turn his attention to us and respond. This was the kind of intimate relationship we were fortunate to have with him. And it, you know, the model, I think, is the relationship
1: that Dogen and Rujing had. So soon after they got
0: to Mount Tiantong, Myozen died. And He was buried in China, and Dogen continued to practice. Lu Jing's message was about dropping body and mind, which doesn't mean fainting. Uh, It means not being caught by your thoughts, not being caught by the conditions of your body, but uh, finding a way to function easily and naturally in the midst of that. And he taught,
1: uh, he taught Shikantaza, which is um,
0: a single-minded seated meditation where one does not try to answer questions or uh, attain realization. This is our method, this is what was passed to us by Dogen, to Suzuki Roshi, down to the generations, and to us. And so by 1227, Dogen felt like he had completed his his necessary life's work, and he returned to Japan. He went back to the monastery where he had been with Myozen and Esai, uh, Keninji. and uh, that's where the first thing that he wrote was Fukan Zazengi, which we studied during uh, Rohatsu Sesshi a couple months ago, uh, called The Broad Recommendation of Zazen. It's a Zazen instruction, Uh, and This was Dogen's vow, was to teach
1: this practice uh, primarily. Uh, And
0: the Tendai community, because this was nominally still a Tendai monastery, uh, continue in its efforts to suppress this single practice. Now, one of the things that It's also important to think of historically in this Kamakura era. So you had this idea that was in circulation in uh, Japanese Buddhism of uh, three, three ages. You had the age of the living Dharma. You had the age of the declining Dharma. And then you had the age of the disappearing dharma, which is uh, known in Japanese as mapo. And one of the things that happened at this time,
1: uh, kind of in uh, synchronicity,
0: you had movements in the face of the framing of this era as the era of mapo, where one couldn't be enlightened, you had these popular uh, and uh, simplified practices that were made available to people. And they were made available to uh, not just to monks, but to lay people. So at the same time, same, uh, same time as Dogen, you had the rise of uh, the Japanese Pure Land schools, the Shin Buddhism Jodo Shinshu, uh, with sort of pivotal figures of Honen and Shinran, who had large followings and movements that developed. You also had the rise of Nichiren Buddhism, uh, and Nichiren was also a historical figure and that was also a Lotus, Lotus Sutra school where uh, salvation, so in, in Pure Land Buddhism, the practice, or they didn't even want to call it practice, was uh, calling on Amida Buddha, Namo Amida Butsu, Namo Amida Butsu, you just, the repetition You would let this rest on your breath and rest in your mind and fill yourself with the spirit of Amida Buddha who resided in the Western paradise and uh, offered salvation. In Nichiren Buddhism, the practice was uh, chanting the name of the Lotus Sutra, Nam-myoho-renge-kyo. And we have this, we can see this today in uh, Nichi, Nichiren Shoshu and Soka Gakkai. These are contemporary movements which have persisted. Uh, and that's also there. Both of these schools were seen as, in Japanese Buddhism, as other power schools. Uh, in other words, they were calling on, uh, they were they're quite similar in their devotional quality to say Christianity, uh, calling on powers that were uh, beyond what was residing in your body. At the same time, you also had the rise of Dogen's approach to Buddhism, which also was stripped down. It was largely stripped down. Uh, the central the central practice was Sazen, which was a very, simple, straightforward practice. Uh, And uh, that was also a, all of these were kind of um, ways of
1: uh, making the practice more accessible to people uh, widely. So Dogen writes,
0: uh i came back to japan with the hope of spreading the teaching and saving sentient beings uh, a heavy burden with with the hope of spreading the teaching and saving sentient beings as a heavy burden on my shoulders however i will put aside the intention or having the teaching prevail everywhere until the occasion of a rising tide i think of wandering about like a cloud or a water weed studying the wind of the ancient sages. So he didn't land any
1: place quite yet. But within, within a few years, uh,
0: both he began to write and he had been driven out of Kaninji by again, by the Tensai, Tendai authorities. And outside of Kyoto, he started a, uh, a small practice center in Fukukusa, which was called Kanandori Temple. And uh, that was his first monastery. So that was in 1233. And they, um, they practiced, they built a traditional Zen temple, as he had seen in China, and they practiced there for, for 10 years. I think I'm gonna, let me stop there for a moment. Uh, uh, You may have questions or thoughts, so let's just open up for a moment. Anything out there, anything in here?
1: Joel. You're muted.
2: Okay, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, uh, yeah, very early on, you said something like, Zen practice is making a mistake on purpose. And I would, I'd love you to expand on that. I, I love that sort of thing, but what does that mean exactly? Is this new to you guys?
1: How about out there? Yeah.
0: you heard this before some of you have so that's this is you know one of these uh kind of one of these snarky ways of <laughs> referring to ourselves um, but i think to me what it means making a mistake on purpose uh it's consonant with this line uh that you find in Genja Koan, which we'll talk about a little. uh, There's a line that says, when Dharma fills your body and mind, you realize that something is missing. That's um, that's been a very powerful teaching for me. Uh, That something is missing means, uh, when Dharma fills your body and mind, You know, one thing
1: that's missing is your full understanding
0: of the tradition, your full understanding of what's happening this moment. You can't grasp everything. From some perspectives, that's a mistake. If you can't grasp everything, then how can you do anything? Does that make sense? So uh, making mistake on purpose,
1: we do, what it means to me is we go forward with an activity,
0: kind of with, with the best of intentions and with the, with the deepest hope and with taking into account what it is that we think are the causes and conditions. But we can't know what the impact is going to be. And so we try something and maybe it's a mistake. Mm -hmm. And then we have to reflect on that and make a correction and do something else. But we can never know anything with some absolute certainty. So to me, that lack of certainty, which is actually the reality of impermanence is uh, how it is that we are bound to make a mistake on purpose. Yeah,
2: Kabir. I, as you were talking about this mistake, um, I kind of see you know, how we so, we kind of plunge into Namo, we just go in and, right. and, and that, I think the plunging in it also could be like a mistake because <laughs> You're just going in, all in, right? So it, and you just don't know what, what side you're going to come out of, but I think that, that plunging in to me, it's, it is kind of a mistake, gun hole in, in a way.
0: Sometimes it'll be um, a big mistake. I, this, this is probably a relevant story, but uh, <laughs> when, when I, um, I went to Israel with Bernie Glassman in I think 1999, we went to the, the Dead Sea, has anyone ever been to the Dead Sea? Anyone out there? It's very, very, very salty, and you know it's like you you go in, your entire body puckers up, and you don't want to have any of this in your mouth. You certainly don't want to have it in your eyes. And uh, our uh, drivers uh, with some amusement told us that well, the week before. Uh, they had driven Sylvester Stallone <laughs> to the Dead Sea, and he, you know, has bathing suit. And he got out of the car, and he ran out of the car, and he ran out of the beach, and he dove in headfirst. <laughs> and then they had to call an ambulance to take him to the hospital. Oh, so, wow, wanna... you, you know, yeah. So it's like, yeah, that's plunging in. You don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> <laughs> so that. I don't think this is a relevant teaching, unless you're going to go to the Dead Sea. <laughs> down
1: the external center. Yeah, okay. No, you can mute awesome. Any
0: other, uh, any questions or thoughts out there in here? Yeah,
1: Anna. I'm just curious about these more accessible features how much of the
0: population was then involved? Well, I think one of the things that that's um, the thing is that the Buddhist institutions you had Tendai school, Shingon school, you had these uh, the the Hosu school they were completely aristocratic. They were for monks who were drawn from and catering to the aristocracy. And what these, uh, certainly the Pure Land schools, Nietzschean schools, and at the beginning, the Zen school uh, were, a a lot of it was for lay people. They depended upon, they did depend upon aristocratic sponsors, but uh, the practices were for were for everybody, and uh, you know, in Dogen's case, you go through his writings, you see that actually included that included lay women as well, which was that was also radical.
1: Is that the answer? Anyone else? So.
0: In 1243, you had this sort of, things came to a head with the Tendai school, and um uh, can only imagine uh, what it was like for Dōgen and his community. They were well established, they had a place that they loved. And um, it's at that time that one of my favorite fascicles of Dōgen was written, uh, Bodai Sata Shishobo, Bodhisattvas for Embracing Dharmas. And in that, he talks about ways to harmonize with your society and with people around. And it seems to me that that fascicle was, was delivered exactly at the time when they must have been planning when they must have been the object of a lot of hostility and possible violence, because like these uh, these large schools had armed monks who would attack and burn burn down rival temples. You know, it wasn't nice guy stuff. Uh, and so in twelve forty three, what Dogen was doing, he was packing up their temple and. He accepted a piece of land in uh, what was then Echizen province. Uh, And that was a place of like really, really cold winters on the Japan sea. And very far, uh, like really in the wilderness, and it was not easy to travel. Uh, It was very distant in a mountainous area, and he moved his whole uh, community there. It was a sizable community. Uh, he began at a small temple there and then, uh, built a lecture hall for what was called Daibutsu Monastery, Big, Big Buddha Monastery. Now it was finished in 1244. And, uh, in 1246, he, re, he renamed it Aheiji, uh, which is Temple of Peace. Uh, and that's when he conducted, that's when he created um, these monastic regulations, which I mentioned to you as Aheiji, and uh, continued writing the fascicles of Shobha Genzo. Uh, by 1253 he was very ill uh, with tuberculosis and he appointed his disciple Ajo as the next abbot of uh, the monastery and gave him a robe that he had sewn with his own hands and he went to Kyoto
1: uh, to seek a cure Uh, And he wrote this poem
0: uh, when he arrived there. Uh, In autumn, even though I may see it again,
1: how can I sleep with the moon this evening? In autumn,
0: even though I may see it again, how can I sleep with the moon
1: this evening? And on the 28th of that month, he died.
0: So just to outline it again, you have these periods of uh, Dogen's life as a teacher. From twenty, from 1227 to 1231, he was at Keninji in Kyoto, which had been Myozen in Aesai's temple, uh, and that's when he met his first uh, disciple Kōan Ejo, and he was beginning to become known uh, in Buddhist circles in Japan. Uh, from 1231, 1232, uh, he stayed at a small temple uh, that was called Anyoin, uh, that was on the outskirts of Kyoto. And that... From 1233 to 1243, uh, he was at the temple that was originally Kanandori, uh, and then it was also called Koshoji. And that temple is still there, I believe. Some people from here have been there. Uh, and that lasted for 10 years. And then you have the last period. Uh, 1243 to 1253, when he moved to um, Etchisen province and start and founded what was going to become AKG. So again, uh, let me stop and just see if you have any questions about his life or about his history or about the proliferation of his teaching.
1: I've heard that his teachings were lost for a very long time. Yes. And then found again. But you know, they mean so much to us, it's hard to understand how they got lost.
0: Well, shall I
1: say something about that? Yes, please.
0: through my notes, I did have notes on this, so. Yeah, okay. So, his, his work was not read for many years. Uh, really, it was kind of lost between 1400 and 1800. Uh, and at that point, uh, well, actually the Ginzo, one version of the Shevo was published in the eighteenth century uh, and it was used by it was a, a reformer named Manzan who was pointing towards Dogin's work and he was using it also to uh restore and rectify the Soto school, which was in some disarray uh, and uh several people, Menzan and also uh, Manzan, Suiho, spent years studying the Shobo Ginzo. And it took a long time for for that work to be available in contemporary Japanese, contemporary at that time, uh, and for it to be distributed and studied in the Soto school. And so Dogen was gradually recognized by scholars of Japanese literature for his prose writing. Uh, and these things became more available and scholars, Japanese uh, Buddhist scholars were studying it probably from the beginning of the 19th century. And then it was uh, slowly translated into, into uh,
1: English. Uh, there was not a translation of any,
0: really, of any of uh, Dogen's writings until 1958, uh, when Reho Matsunaga published a book called the Soto Approach to Zen and then you had uh, you had an accelerating uh, pace of trans of translation and just to say one of the key people is Kaz Tanahashi who lives about a mile from here who was married to Linda Hess and uh, this The first major collection of Dogen uh, that Kaus put together, Moon and a Dewdrop, uh, was published in 1985, and the copy's getting a little ratty, but you know I have, uh, this is the copy that I bought at the book release party at Black Oak Books, and it's signed by Sojourn and by cause uh
1: let's not look at it a second. And you know, I had I had
0: really only been here a few for a few months. Uh and uh I'm not going to go into it, it's a very sweet inscription from Sojin uh, and and, and, then some words from Kaas. So, the whole explosion of Dogen studies has really happened within, certainly within the last 40 years, uh, which is a relatively short
1: time. Other questions? And out there? Ah, yes. Phil. You're
0: muted.
3: Okay. At the beginning of the lecture, you mentioned that I think it was in reference to a translation of the Shobogenzo, and you and I, I'm not sure that's the reason I'm asking the question, is that um you mentioned that there was no mention of of Zazen. Yeah. And Um, I I find that beyond strange. You mentioned that it was strange, but um, something of a translation of Dogen that doesn't take into account Zazen, it seems like you would immediately dismiss anything to be said about it. I mean, why would you even study it or allow it? (laughs) (laughs) That's a really good question.
0: So that is this text called Shushogi, and um, it, was, it was compiled uh, in 1890 uh, by a Soto Zen uh, monk or teacher, and it was disseminated widely to the lay community. And I think, uh, you know, it was edited together. It was like a you know an assemblage of of different quotations made into some coherent whole but you know the feeling was zazen was for monks not for lay people this is what i think we we can appreciate about what's happened here um there was always some In Japan, you would have at temples, at local temples, you might have every now and then what was called a zazen kai, uh, where people were uh, shown how to sit zazen. But in many ways, and we experienced this when I was in Japan, uh, particularly uh, in local temples, uh, sitting zazen was like one of those traditional arts like flower arranging, you know, or uh, you know, any traditional Japanese cultural form. And so people would, would go to the temple and they'd have instruction how to sit a And it was part of, in a sense, part of learning how to be Japanese in in a sort of in a deep spiritual expressive sense. But it wasn't about spiritual practice. Uh, and I think what was unique, and we'll, we'll hear more about this next week when uh, we look at Suzuki Roshi, the people, the teachers who came here, Suzuki Roshi, Maizumi Roshi, Kagiri, Kobenchino, Okamura, the Japanese teachers who came here, uh, really believed in Zazen. And that's what they communicated to us. And they thought, this is a fresh field in which to sow the seeds. And so they were, they created uh, practice places for, for lay people. The practice that we have, Berkeley Zen Center, you know, when, when it started, it was completely unique. Uh, it was modeled on San Francisco Zen Center, which was not a monastery and people couldn't live there initially. Uh, but then it became a monastic, uh, sort of monastic style of practice. But here in Berkeley, we've always had people come and go, people who were working, people who had families. Uh, and at the same time, we offered a, a very vigorous practice schedule that you could you could count on it you could count on it six days a week and lay people came and supported the practice and this was sojin's vision which i think was quite in alignment with with suzuki roshi's vision and with that of of some of the other teachers Um, and one of the interesting things is that there's a kind of feedback loop where the practices that we're doing, the way we practice, the way we make it available to lay people, is uh, affecting to some degree what's happening in Japan. Uh, so Shishogi, I think, is kind of dated, but it's also very beautiful. So I'll, I'll try to find it and send it out to you guys so you can see it.
3: Is that- not really. Um, I'm not talking about the efficacy of, of, of Zazen. I'm talking about someone who's trying to understand and it's a discourse on Shobo Ginzo um, and somehow not including or talking about or discussing Zazen. It, it seems incongruent. Yeah, it
0: seems like he missed the point, right?
3: Right, right. But right. I think...
0: What he was trying to do was, was, I think, communicate the philosophical beauty of Dogen without kind of the physical. And, you know, we wouldn't do that, but that's, this is something that we, that we have. And it's, you know, it's become part of the Toto tradition, but you may notice we haven't studied it. <laughs> right. Soji never gave it to us. Uh I mean I've studied it on my own, but uh he wasn't that interested in it. But it's but if you ask somebody in Japan what they know of Dogen, Shushogi, probably is, is very common it's it's a very commonly understood work. Okay, thank you.
1: Yeah. It's still part of the liturgy, isn't it? I don't know on the regular liturgy. Uh, I'd have to. I'd have to look. Yeah. Yeah, Hannah. But the monks at AG were sitting zazen,
0: right? Oh, absolutely.
1: And then these were his talks. These beautiful philosophical works.
0: Right. He was giving. I mean, for the Ahe KOROKU, they were sitting zazen as they were receiving these these talks. Yeah uh i mean in a sense zazen was kind of the the given uh i had a, a teacher uh, a poetry teacher who said i don't think this is actually true uh that you can tell that the Quran is authentic because there's no camels in it you know uh, i i think there are camels in it but you can tell that uh you know zazen was was so much the fabric
1: of the practice that it uh, perhaps it went without saying. So
0: I wanna just touch on what I think are some major, uh, major points of practice that we get from Dogen.
1: And maybe, uh, reference them in, uh, in Genjo Koan.
0: I really want to also point you, maybe I'll send this out as well, if you don't have a copy of Genjo Koan, uh, which was, uh, a writing that Dogen did in, uh, 1233, and, uh, then he revised late in his life, to some degree, not not extensively, but almost everything that I'm pointing to as key teachings, you can find in Geshyo And get your on. and uh, it's it's very it's very beautiful and compressed. If we had time, we'd read it all now. But I think here are some principal teachings.
1: One is that. All beings are Buddha nature. This was, um,
0: this is in the the first line of Genjokan. It says, as all things are Buddha Dharma, there is delusion, realization, practice, and birth, and death. As all things are Buddha Dharma, So, Buddha Dharma, Buddha Nature. uh, This is a twist that Dogen did, uh, taken from the Nirvana Sutra. Nirvana Sutra says, essentially, all beings have Buddha Nature. Dogen switched a character in in that expression to say that all beings are Buddha Nature. And there's a difference there. Uh, I think what he was getting at is to say all beings have Buddha nature, you run the risk of thinking of Buddha nature as a thing, as an object, as like, kind of like as your soul or as
1: some essence that you have that you contain. Um
0: To say all beings are Buddha nature is to point you towards uh,
1: towards the fact that Buddha nature contains
0: us, we don't contain Buddha nature. So Buddha nature is the pervasive reality of the universe and all of our particularity, uh, and not just ours as people, but all things, uh, including inanimate things, as we spoke of last week, when we were talking of Dungshan, uh, all things are, are the particular manifestation of Buddha nature. So that's, That's
1: a starting point. Um, He talked about also, this is a fundamental
0: uh, point of Soto Zen, is practice practice realization, practice enlightenment, practice emancipation. And what that means is usually when we think of Buddhism, when we come to Buddhism, we think about it from almost any school.
1: We think of uh, the goal of enlightenment, the goal of liberation. And that comes from the earliest times. So to say practice realization
0: is to turn it, is to turn our practice on its head. So rather than saying we practice to become enlightened, what Dogen is saying is we practice because we already are enlightened and our practice is the expression of our awakened nature, does that make sense? Uh, but it, what it's pointing to is that we already are Buddha. And yet, to manifest that Buddha nature, we have to do something. So this gets back to Dogen's uh, primary question. You know, if, we're, if all beings are Buddha, why do
1: we have to practice? And I think for me,
0: what I understand is that enlightenment is an activity. That's what, that's what Dogen is pointing towards. It's not, often we think of enlightenment as a state of being or state of mind, but what Dogen is pointing us to is that it's an activity. And this, this goes to the, Beautiful, the the last section of uh, Genjokan, which I'll read to you. I love this actually. Uh This may be familiar to some of you. Zen master Bao Che of Mount Mayu was fanning himself. A monk approached and said, Master, the nature of the wind is permanent, and there is no place that it does not reach, why then do you fan yourself? In other words, uh, or Master, all beings are enlightened, and that reaches everywhere, Uh, so why do you fan yourself, why do you practice? And Boucher said, Although you understand that the nature of the wind is permanent, you do not understand the meaning of its reaching everywhere. And uh, the monk said, what is the meaning of its reaching everywhere?
1: The master just kept fanning himself. The monk bowed deeply. In order to manifest
0: our enlightenment, in order to express our enlightenment, which is what you're doing with this notion of practice realization, you have to do something. And that doing, one way that I think of it is
1: uh, we are aligning ourselves with
0: with the universe, we're aligning ourselves with being. So when the monk is fanning, even though there's wind that we everywhere, he's aligning himself with the wind. Whether it's foolish activity or not, he's putting himself in that space, enjoying the wind. There's another story that I love from uh, the record of Lehmann Pang, who was a Tang Dynasty. Late person he had a family it's the pong family it was very famous. it was the old man and his wife and then the young daughter. Uh, and one day layman pong was walking walking along and he tripped on something in the path and he fell down. and his daughter saw this, saw her father fall down. And she threw herself on the ground, and he said, what are you doing? And she said, Father, I'm helping.
1: So that's, that's alignment. There's a story of,
0: uh, I heard of Maizumi Roshi, uh, twice in a meal, uh, a monk Uh, A practitioner uh, accidentally knocked his uh,
1: spoon onto the floor for Morioki. And a moment later, Maizumi Roshi knocked his spoon onto the floor.
0: So, practice realization is aligning
1: ourselves with the forces of the world. And then there's the primacy of
0: Zazen, which is also the, the key teaching of Dogen. And, you know, what he says in Fukan Zazangi is the Zazen I speak of is not learning meditation. It's not simply meditation, it's not simply an activity. He it says it's simply the Dharma gate of repose and bliss. Now, Some of you
1: may wonder, when do we get to this repose and bliss? But you will, and you do, if your eyes are open, if your mind is open, you recognize when in Sazen we are just at ease, and that is what's being offered the quiet,
0: the peace, in the midst of the storm of life, even though it may be raging inside us and outside us, there's something still. And that is what Dogen was pointing to as as Zazen. And that Zazen, that stillness, uh, is not just about cross-legged sitting. It's about It can be manifest in any activity that we do, Uh, in any action, there can be stillness at the heart of it, even at the heart of what is always in motion. So, um, we only have a few minutes left, Uh, next week we will talk about Suzuki Roshi, but uh, just, again, are there any questions or thoughts or comments before we, uh, in the minutes that, that remain to us? Anyone out there?
1: You guys have been quiet. as i said
0: oh
2: i have one uh, okay come here and then Kimpo. Oh something just popped in my head when when you're talking about that stillness of speak zazen. loudly when you're talking about the stillness of zazen that that calm i had a kind of vision of the eye of the storm right mm-hmm. in the middle of it mm-hmm. where everything is just going in right there that's that's the most still point and i think they mess up everyday life. as Zazen kind of provides that landscape.
1: Did you hear that? Yes.
0: So there's the thinking of sitting in Zazen as sitting at the eye of the storm. And I think that's good. I think that's a good, that's a useful image. And uh, also recognizing that there is a place of refuge. Uh, even though we actually have to go out in the storm as well. But we know that that's there. Kimpo?
3: I guess I just
0: wonder about when you say that Dogen said that there was no goal of enlightenment. I feel like from things I've read from Dogen, that seems like a really contemporary
2: view what he was saying. Um, and I, I wonder about like, you know, when you read Dogen, um, sort of in connection with like, uh, the Denko Roku,
1: like the, the history of Soto Zen talking about the
2: aspiration for enlightenment and, and the fact of enlightenment I just feel like it's very easy in contemporary settings to say, Odogan oh, said there was no goal of enlightenment," and 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 kind of discount things he said,
1: which may be not
0: contradicting that, but just the whole picture needs to be brought out. I think if you're going to say that, yes. Did you hear that? Um...
1: I think there's a distinction between setting a goal.
0: Setting a goal is not the same as saying there's no awakening or no enlightenment. Uh, he was very I think he was clear about that. You know what what he was saying, and this is why uh his prime question is is alive, that in order to understand that all beings are Buddha uh, that may be the fact but if you don't realize it it's not accessible to you and so he's talking about realization but what he's saying is that the realization of it is the practice is every aspect of the practice Uh, which is there's a in Japanese in Soto I guess Perhaps modern-day soto, it, it may come, uh, there may be a historical root, but certainly going back as far as uh, Sawaki Kodo in the, uh, in the 20th century. The term is uh, mushitoku, which means, which we translate, Suzuki which translates as, no gaining idea so this is a conundrum and just as we have a conundrum in the bodhisattva vows like sentient beings are numberless i vow to save them all Well, that seems like a gaining idea it also seems like an impossible conundrum we have to have what brings us here is is the the thought of enlightenment and Dogen is he's saying over and over again, we have to raise the thought of enlightenment. And then what he says, the thought of enlightenment is, uh, one way he addresses it, is seeing into the nature of impermanence. Now, whether that's a goal or not, uh, we could probably discuss forever. But to see into it, to see into the, into to see into the nature of impermanence means to look at the way things really are. And so often we don't look at the way things really are, we get stuck in the way we think they are. So that's that's a start of a response to you, if that's okay. I think we have to end and we'll end with the four vows. Thank you all and we'll see you next week for another Exciting episode of uh, uh, our Soto Zen tradition. Means are numberless. I vow to awaken with them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow. Them. Buddha's
1: ways is unsurpassable, I vow to become it.